Ah, okay, university, what's your picture? What are we, day two? Is that right? Day two of week one uh, of year something. Who's, who's in first year here? Oh, again, say hello. Come on. Who, um, who's, uh, who's, who's with Duncan and a kind of inveterate fifth year? You, you guys are either very smart or very dumb, really. That's one way or the other. And is, any, is anyone beat fifth year? What, what do you got? Seventh year. Wow. And will you come out with more than two letters at the end of all of that? No. Not a single letter. Look, I, I took ten years and um, I, got, I got a bunch of letters, so you should just have some. That's, uh, that's how we go. You've got reading lists, no doubt, so far at some of your lectures. Uh, don't worry, you'll never find any of them. Uh, people will get there first in Fisher Library and will hide the books. And so you'll never see them. They're useless, reading lists. Um, you've met, no doubt, several dozen people uh, whose names you can't remember already and you've asked them four times so far and you'll be embarrassed to ask them again. Um, but that's just how it goes in week one. And your train is not on time. You've tried the 812 train and never arrives before 840 and that's because you voted in the state government just a few months ago. <laughs> you dumbos. It's a great week, isn't it? Week one. Uh, it will all get more intense you know, as, as the semester goes on, but week one is a time to kind of chill, to take stock, to c- prepare yourself really. And so that's what this uh, time this afternoon uh, is all about. I want you to ponder your underlying image of uh, what the university is. Um, I've got some pictures to help for you. For some, it's a bit like a theme park. Uh, You think that there's all sorts of rides, all sorts of activities, things going on, lots of noises, funs, ups and downs. (laughs) There's clowns running around. That's the SRC president. and There's the vice president. They're having their monthly meeting. Um, And it's a kind of a fun time. Uni's just a ball. Uh, for others, it's a bit more serious. You're, you're the more studious type. Uh, you think that universities like a kind of buzzing industry of intellectual activity, a beehive of thriving minds feeding upon the pure honey. Oh, no, they don't feed on it. They produce it, don't they? But, you know, something like that. And there they are, just intellectual inquiry at its very most intense For me, I think of the university, however, a a bit more like a pair of vice grips uh, or or perhaps a pressure cooker or maybe a red-hot kiln. Massive, intense pressure in the atmosphere around you. Endlessly seeking to melt you and mould you into a given shape. It's interesting, I think that apart from the first 18 months of your life, this period of time at the university is the most rapid and significant time of change in your life. Uh, three, four, or as I say in my case, ten years, where you move from being a late adolescent to being an adult. That's what happens while you're at uni and it represents a very significant time of change. In particular, it has very significant challenges to it. The thing about challenges is that they can also function as a tremendous opportunity. The burning heat of the kiln 
in which we live here at university can make you stronger and fiercer and tougher as well as melt you and make you kind of softer and wussier. You you can grow in ways if you meet the challenges and turn them into opportunities that will set the trajectory for your life to come. It's interesting, the Christian communities to uh, which the Apostle Peter wrote uh, his first letter uh, also experienced a kind of white-hot heat, a blowtorch to the belly, a social pressure that's being brought to bear upon them that you get the impression had the potential to really shake the foundations of their faith. For me, 1 Peter, which uh, year after year I read as a a staff worker here, uh, leading small groups, we did 1 Peter in our first year small groups, and uh, it was very appropriate. And so today we're going to actually take some time in some sections of 1 Peter. One commentator described the environment in which these Christian communities were living like this. A barrage of verbal abuse designed to demean, discredit and shame the believers as social and moral deviants endangering the uh, the, uh, common good. They lived in a society where the welfare of the empire was seen to be deeply dependent upon the proper worship of the pagan gods. And so if you're a Christian person denying the very existence of those gods because you had an exclusive allegiance to Jesus as your God... Well, that wasn't just antisocial, that was potentially treasonous. And I don't think the pressure in our context here at uni is that much different, actually. I mean, at the surface level it's nice, but you don't have to scratch too much below the surface to find that the pressure is relatively similar. Now, it's interesting, when you're put under that kind of pressure, I think there are two easy options out. On the one hand, you can kind of flip out. You just flip out, you withdraw. With a shake of the hand, you just say to the society and community around you, go jump in the lake. Uh, This is the way of the cult. Uh, To turn back from the surrounding culture, to turn the attacks that the culture makes on it back on itself, that just sort of reinforces its sense of identity, to become a kind of pure, holy huddle. That's one way to handle the pressure, right? There's some real upsides in that. It enables members of groups like that to maintain their convictions, to find a way through the attacks. The downside is it does something Jesus would never do. It gives up on the world around it. Well, if you're not going to kind of flip out and withdraw, there's another easy option. It's to cave in. The kind of bludgeoning hand of the pressure around us wins. It succeeds in moulding you in its own image. You do the same things that it does. You wear the same clothes. You exhibit the same spending patterns with your money. You use your time in the same way. You make decisions based on the same principles. You just cave in. Now again, the upside of that response is clear, isn't it? It eliminates the pressure. I mean, it's all gone if you just cave in. But it does so only because it swims with the tide. And uh, as the saying goes, that which swims best with the tide is a dead fish. Now, it's interesting, the Apostle Peter's approach is neither to withdraw and flip out, nor to get moulded and cave in. He doesn't go for either of the easy options. Instead, his option is to stand up, to stand tall, 
to know who you are and where you've come from and precisely on that basis with that offer to engage with the culture around you. And as we begin this uh, uni year, we're going to look through the eyes of the Apostle Peter at a couple of the pressures, a couple of the opportunities that uni life can present and see how we can respond to those Christianly in a way that leads neither to flipping out nor to caving in. Well, the first uh, challenge, the first opportunity uh, that you'll never get lectured on, no one's going to mention this, this is kind of the big secret of university, Uh, the big issue really that stands uh, before you is the issue of identity. Issue number one is identity. The great task for you as students is not to pass exams, it's not to hand in essays or get degrees. I mean, I hope you do that. Uh, That's all good. But the great task for you is to answer one simple, profound, all-important question. Your job for these three or four years is to get super clear on the answer to this question, who am I? Who am I? What do I stand for? What do I see as my life's contribution? To whom do I belong? Where do my loyalties lie? Who am I? That's what people aged 18 to 22 are doing. That's their job in life. When my daughter was two years old, her task in life was to get successfully the spoon from the plate to her mouth sufficient number of times so that she didn't starve to death. Okay? That was her life task. You, I suspect, have mastered that one. At least you haven't died. So you've got a different life task now. Your life task is to forge a strong, clear identity. Who am I? What do I stand for? What are my real values? Not the values I can speak, but the actual values I live. What am I going to pour my life's energy into? Now, the university will give you a clear answer to this question. Massively clear answer to the question. It's an answer that can be deeply alluring or deeply destructive. It just builds on the answer that, in all likelihood, your school gave you too. You know the answer to the question, who are you? Who are you? You are your achievements. That's the answer that you'll be told, uphill, down, dale, lecture in, tutorial. Actually, you don't have tutorials, there's no staff for that. But, you know, they used to have these things called tutorials. They're really good where you get to discuss things uh, before funding cuts. You start university with a number stamped on your forehead, don't you? 98.75. Yeah, suck on that one. 57.3. We don't mention it. I'm a kind of happy medium, kind of 74.2. The number on your forehead. Now, of course, you get past that very quickly. You got over asking people what they got by, you know, November or December, or whenever you got your, your number. Um, once you get to uni, your numbers get replaced by letters. D, which doesn't mean dumb, means distinction. Or sometimes you even get, you know, two letters. HD, or CP. <laughs> you know what that one means? Conceded pass. It means we really ought to fail you, but we need your money so we can let you stay here. <laughs> Some of you have got scholarships and people chased you. The university chased you and rang you up and you wonder, how, how did they get my number to contact me? I didn't know that I gave my number, but they're giving me money so they want me to be here and money's good. 
the answer that you'll get from the university is you are your achievements and that can be very alluring. If your achievements are excellent and you are your achievements, I guess what? You're excellent. You're excellent. And someone's telling you that, whispering that in your ear at every moment and you love it. Of course, if your achievements are not quite so excellent, in fact, if if your achievements, frankly, are fairly mediocre, uh, not just your intellectual achievements, but your, say, personal or, or, say, moral achievements are pretty mediocre, and you are your achievements, then what that says is, hey, guess what? You're pretty mediocre too. It is a system that can exalt and crush with equal indifference. And the whole thing, the whole thing is utterly pagan, utterly unchristian. See, the Christian answer to the question, who am I, is that you're a person who has been graced by God. Graced by God in Jesus Christ. Loved not because of your achievements, frankly, loved despite your achievements. You are what you are given to be, not what you have earned to be. That's grace, you see. Grace, the very lifeblood of Christian faith. It's abhorrent to the university. The university is all about merit, not grace. Listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks of this gracious identity. Uh, take out your Bible. Now, at this point, um, it's very important that I hope you can just reach for your weapon and draw it. Uh, you do that with your right hand because you need some, you know, you hold your partner on your left hand if you're a bloke or the other way if you're a girl. Right? I'm a minister so I know these things at weddings. Get your Bible out. If you don't have a Bible, can I say, Duncan will buy you one. <laughs> I can promise you that right now. On, on his bank account, I promise you. Don't leave, I'll say more about this later, but get your Bibles out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Listen to what the Apostle says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The way to thrive in the kiln is to know who you are. And to these despised and rejected Christian communities, Peter says they're not anti-social half-breeds. They're a chosen race. Not the dregs of society. This is an astonishing phrase. A chosen race spoken into a society that was as racially divided then as it is now. A whole race to themselves, these Christians, chosen by the God of the universe, if anything spiritually superior, you see. You can hear some danger in this designation, can't you? But at the same time, can you see the potential for the incredible good, the radical cure for all the evils of racism in any society because this race is not dependent upon the colour of your skin or who your parents were or where they came from. It's about being connected to Jesus. And anyone, everyone is invited to do that. And to these Christian communities that are being slandered, accused of atheism because they don't believe in the gods... Peter says they're a royal priesthood. They're not unspiritual fools. 
they are as a community the very point of connection between God and the world. That's what a priesthood is. And they're a priesthood by the king's own appointment. Royalty. These Christian communities that were regarded as shameful ignorers of the privileges that were theirs by being part of the Roman Empire, Peter says, you're a holy nation. A nation, if you like, within a nation with a fundamentally different allegiance, a holy allegiance to the one who's created them. And to these Christian communities that are regarded as rubbish, to be discarded on the junk heap of history, Peter writes that they are God's own people. Uh, It's a bit lame as a translation. It's more God's treasured possession. God has favourites, you see, apparently. The church is his favourite, his treasured possession, his special teddy bear, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. (laughs) Of course, this is not the favouritism of indulgence and indolence. It's the favouritism of mission and purpose to declare the praises of the one who brought them out of darkness into his marvellous light. So, brothers and sisters, today let me say to you, this is who they were, these ancient Christian communities, and this is who we are here today. This is who we are. This is our honour to be these things, the Apostle says a little earlier on in the paragraph. And in week one of term one, I want you to feel it, to know it, We live in a vastly different world to the first century Greco-Roman Empire but authentic Christians and authentic Christianity are no less despised now than it was then. We are regarded with contempt for our miserably unspiritual claims that Jesus is the exclusive Saviour and Lord of all people. People think we're unspiritual. We create disgust, moral disgust in the minds of people. Because we hold a view of sexual relationships that says they belong to the marriage of a man and a woman. And it's a divine gift to humanity, not to be mucked around with if you like. And so we prefer to be chaste rather than immoral. We are regarded as pathetic because we hold the view with audacity that money is not the currency that makes the world go round. But that sacrifice and love are. And so we don't think that politics or education or institutions or wealth creation are the solutions to the deepest needs of people, as good as those things are. We think people's deepest needs are met in one place only, in Jesus. And we are hated for it. Hated for it. That's the world we live in. That's the culture, that's the atmosphere, that is the kiln that you will be in every day of your semester. And I'm saying, will you instead hear the truth about yourselves today? That you're not unspiritual fools for rejecting the supremacy of tolerance in our culture, the religion of our university, tolerance. We're the priests of the living and true God. That's who we are. That we're not enemies of the human race. We are a chosen race, chosen by God himself. That the rejection or just plain disinterest in the culture around us is not the last word on us. Far more important than that is the fact that you are the special treasured possession of God. I'm saying we're going to this week, into this semester, into this year, into the rest of your lives with this knowledge deeply scored into your soul. Will you behave like it's true? Unashamed in being Christian, unembarrassed 
about being a public Christian, entirely unaffected by the muted or even the loud scorn that's poured upon you. And live a life of simple and God-honouring purity. That is the challenge for us, to know who we are because of who we belong to. That's the only way that you'll keep from caving in. Well, that's the big one, the question of identity. Uh, And the only way to turn that from a challenge into an opportunity is to have a clear, razor-sharp answer to it. You are God's. God's own chosen people. There are two others, however, which follow from it. Uh, The second is in the area of the intellect. In the area of the intellect, you see the dramatic and detailed outline. The fact is that you'll grow very significantly intellectually while you're at uni uh, and each year more and more so, it seems to me. I remember my a wife did two-unit maths and struggled with that at high school. Uh, it took her a whole you know, two years to do the two-unit maths program. That's what they do, do at high school. In the first term, back in the good old days, when there were three terms, they did the entire four-unit maths, four maths course in first term. And that's just what's expected. And what's more, she passed with flying cars, etc., etc. You grow massively intellectually at uni. Uh, not just in your actual subject area, but more broadly in, in the arts about the nature and purpose of humanity coming to some views about the nature of the world and the sciences, um, thinking through the economic relations that we have uh, to each other and trying to get a sense that they're more than merely functional. Um, if you study vet science, then I guess... Well, you're learning about something, aren't you? I mean, I'm not quite... No, that's not true. That's not true. My wife is a vet. You're learning about stewardship there. And Christian conviction is utterly intellectually despised at the university. Uh, Many lecturers are unscrupulous, I believe, or at least I hear, in their abuse of their position to attack with utter intellectual kind of non-substance. They just slag off at Christian conviction. Even more insidious than that is the basic assumption intellectually. It's a schizophrenic assumption. It wouldn't be allowed in any other kind of uh, area of study. That Christian conviction is baseless, but okay as long as you just keep it to yourself. It's a bit like Brussels sprouts. Right? Some people actually like... Hands up. If you like Brussels sprouts, you see? There are some freaking weirdos, even in this room. And there are some Christians at the university too who think there's a God and that it matters and that Jesus rose from the dead. They're freaking weirdos, but that's okay. They can be that as long as they don't say anything about it and they just eat their Brussels sprouts out of harm's way. But for the rest of us who have a sensible view about vegetables and eat proper things like broccoli and, and carrots and, and meat, you know, that's, we have sensible views. And the danger for us Christians is that we cave in here and just stick our heads in the sand. That we compartmentalise. We say, oh yes, there's our studies and you get all you know, involved and, and expand in your studies but you kind of hermetically seal that off from your Christian life intellectually. That is a catastrophe. That is a catastrophe. Because if you're intellectually way ahead academically than Christianly, you will end up just leaving this behind as childish, which it is because you didn't invest in it. The Apostle Peter is very clear here. Listen to this, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, 
Prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourself. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, don't be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. It's very interesting, the, the, the knowledge language that prevails here. Gird, literally, gird up the loins of your minds. Tuck your skirts in so you can be very active intellectually. The, the former ignorance that you had, including this assumption that you, know, you can divide your life up into Christian bits and other bits, forget it. Don't cave into that sort of thing anymore. Over the door of the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge University, the very building where massive scientific advances have been made, there is a text from the Bible. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. It's Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. It's interesting, because that brings the two together. They are the works of the Lord, and we study them out of devotion to the Lord. There's no compartmentalisation available for faithful Christians. And that's the only way you'll find your way through the intensity of the pressure in the kiln intellectually at university is to integrate. To integrate. The final area of challenge is uh, the question of investment. I don't mean by that the stock exchange sucked in. If you've got lots of shares, they're massively less valuable now than they were about a month ago. Serves you right. Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth because it rusts and moths get at it and other people sell. (laughs) Now, this is going to sound like flattery. It's not flattery. It's just true. You are among the most gifted people on the planet. Not just on the planet at the moment, but throughout all of history, actually. You have an opportunity to develop those gifts in a way that's virtually unprecedented. Across the planet, a tiny percentage of people have the gifts that you have and an even tinier percentage of people have the opportunity to study at a university. It's only 18% in Australia, just by the way. I mean, don't think too much about what it's like in, say, Afghanistan. And frankly, even some of those 18% study golf course management. I don't think they offer that yet here, do they? (laughs) Praise the Lord for that. Your ability to access information, to analyse it, to process it, to draw conclusions about it and then to do something about it will be honed to a razor edge over these years. You will be stretched in your capacity exponentially. And what the uni will say to you is that you need to take these gifts that you have and use them for yourself to establish a really fabulously enviable lifestyle, to set yourself up and never let go. You think I'm flattering you? I'm not flattering you, I'm warning you actually. I'm warning you because the Bible is very clear on why you have been given gifts. Listen to Jesus, from everyone to whom much has been given, this is Luke 12:48. Luke 12:48. from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required and from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. The Apostle Peter says the same thing, chapter 4, verse 10 of his first letter, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve yourself and establish your... No, that's not what he says, surprisingly. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift you have received. If you speak, then speak like it matters as speaking the very words of God. 
If you serve, then serve with the strength that God supplies. You're a steward of your gift. And you have to decide whether you're going to invest your abilities in the things of God or the things of self. I want to challenge you that you make the most of every opportunity to hone and develop and enrich and deepen those gifts that you have been given. Become biblically superb while you're at uni. Know your Bible. Carry it. It is your primary spiritual weapon. As I said, don't leave home without it. Make sure you have one. Use it. Read it. Be at public meetings religiously as the first thing in your week. You'll be stretched biblically here. Go to small group to give to others. Train and be trained in Christian ministry. Be part of the uh, equip program so that you actually hone the skills that you have. Evangelise your, uh, your uh, colleagues shamelessly, relentlessly. Learn how to explain the Christian message. We live in a kiln. That's what the university is. It's a kiln. And you ought to set your heart to say that as you live in this kiln, what it's going to do for you is not melt you and shape you and mould you and form you in its own image. What you're going to do in this kiln is take it and use that heat and with the strength of God and the power of his Holy Spirit to actually become stronger, clearer, sharper for Jesus. That's the challenge of this year. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that you endured the cross despising its shame. And we pray that as we seek to live for you and walk in your footsteps, that you would so strengthen us to be your holy people, that chosen race, that royal priesthood, knowing who we are and so faithful to you in all the opportunities that you've given us. We ask it for your glory. Amen.